Hi all, uh, welcome to the latest version of the ORX podcast. Uh, my name is Steve Bishop and I'm the Director of Research and Information at ORX. Today you've got a, a two-part podcast. First of all, we're going to have a discussion on the latest publication from uh, ORX Cyber and that's going to cover cyber risk quantification. And then in part two, you'll be taken through the January top five ORX news events by Lily, Natasha and Fern. And they will also be focusing on an interesting story they've published recently on deep fakes. Okay, so for the cyber discussion, I'm pleased today to be joined by Melanie Lavallin and Catherine Sherrill-Lambus from the ORX cyber team. Hi, everybody. It's Melanie. Hi, and it's Catherine. Welcome. So I'm going to get the uh, discussion going. I'm, I'm going to say something that's probably pretty obvious to everyone. Cyber is, is a significant risk. We hear that all the time from our members, both in what they tell us about their current top risks, but also in terms of what they tell us about the emerging threats that are coming down the, the line to increase uh, cyber risk. I think we also see a clear link to the sort of efforts in the industry to digitalize and, and the levels of technology change that that's bringing. You know, it's pretty obvious that increases the potential attack surface. But then in the background, we've also got the fact that this threat continues to increase in sophistication with often the attackers being one step ahead of the defenders. We all know that this occupies a significant amount of board time at our member organizations, senior management time in risk committees, etc. But I think since we started the ORX Cyber Service, which is our service for for second-line risk management professionals, the community is constantly reported quantifying cyber risk as a challenge. I think they all feel it's where, well, it's a topic where enhancements to the understanding of the risk exposure could help improve both their risk-based decisions and also their control spend prioritizations. I think a better understanding of how much risk they're running can clearly help them to understand where they, they're going to get the best return for their investment on controls. Melanie, I'm going to turn to you and put you on the spot. Unsurprisingly, this topic has come up in discussions and we've now done this report and we've published that. It would be good to hear from you, I guess. What, what did we see as the sort of the headline findings in this study? Thanks, Steve. So essentially, the survey results identified varying degrees of maturity across our participant group and also several different ways of approaching cyber quantification. Most participants actually were categorized into one of three groups. And those groups were dependent upon primarily two different considerations. One was what were their objectives for doing cyber risk quantification? So what was ultimately the purpose of it? And secondly, really informed by the resources they have available to actually carry out the cyber risk quantification. It's clear from the study that there was no one way or best practice yet established in the industry. And I think that's been borne out with the conversations we've been having with the community over the last year. And typically, cyber quantification does not tend to itself provide a one-size-fits-all approach. So it's really not surprising within the headline results that we see these varying approaches to cyber risk quantification. I was just going to ask you, Catherine, if you could just expand a bit more on typically what we were seeing with some of the key objectives that are actually driving cyber quantification for the participant group. Thank you, Melanie. Yes, so the report identified two main reasons why organizations will want to do cyber risk quantification. The first one is um, to assist with the regulatory or economic capital requirement calculations. So this need is nothing new for organizations. 
and they're likely to be already very clear internal guidelines in place relating to this specific objective. And cyber will just follow these, these similar processes already in place in the organization. The second main objective is a more in-depth cyber risk measurement approach that helps organizations to get a clearer view of their risk exposure. This is needed for a variety of strategic and management reasons. So it really is very valuable to organizations to be able to get that view. We also found that some organizations, rather than focusing on risk measurement, were looking more to focus on risk management. Now, this objective of risk management doesn't really require a quantitative approach to cyber risk. And qualitative views of cyber risk are adequate, you know, to fulfill this risk management objective where outputs and results can be far more subjective. Great. Thank you. So as I mentioned previously, the study identified three different approaches. So we'll just discuss briefly what these were, but typically we found across the three groups that they were mostly internally developed. So the first group looked at, as Catherine's just said, primarily risk management, so the qualitative assessment of cyber risk rather than the quantitative study that we were really focusing on. And that may well be that that is adequate for a number of our participants. The second group were looking in a bit more depth and they were involved in carrying out workshops, desktop exercises with subject matter experts to provide subjective input to support the quantification. The more sophisticated method, which was the third group, actually were using objective input. So they were sourcing both external and internal data to support the objective cyber risk quantification. I wonder, Steve, if you could just provide a bit more detail on on what this might look like for the, the more sophisticated approaches. Yeah, absolutely. So this more sophisticated approach, I think we're seeing as an emerging trend in terms of operational risk quantification now. But essentially, exposure-based models are built based on risk factors for the particular risk that you're trying to quantify. What this means is that you look to build a picture of the key internal and external drivers for a particular risk. By drivers, that may include things like cyber training completion rates, patching completeness, or external threat indicators, really depending on what the specific risk is that you are looking to to quantify. But once you've identified those drivers, you look to source data and information on them, and then that forms the basis of the, the quantification effort. And there's probably a couple of big advantages of this that I think people see. One is it, it sort of negates the need for the severity and sort of frequency type information, which is the basis of traditional operational risk models. I think it's been the subject to much discussion that that data is relatively hard to come by for cyber, but also the fact that cyber is evolving at, at such pace as a, as a risk means that it can quickly become outdated. But they can also then secondly drive more meaningful or actionable outcomes from the quantification. If essentially you know what the drivers are, you can far more easily take action if you understand which of those drivers increase or decrease your your quantification efforts. That's that third area, and it's definitely an area of um, sort of exploration in a number of organizations. We did some work on it last year, which is uh, on our website for anyone that's interested in more detail. 
Great. Thanks, Steve. And Catherine, we did have a a few of the participants which didn't neatly sit in in either of the three groups. Can you just explain where they may have fallen? Yes, we did. Our gut feel is um, that they fit somewhere in between the organisations that focus on cyber risk management rather than measurement and those using existing models within their organization to quantify cyber risk. So they're definitely not fitting within that third category where there's the more sophisticated methods being used. Great, thank you. So Steve, just back to some of the challenges in this area. Yeah, cool, thank you. So um, that was really useful overview, I think, from, from both of you, it's very helpful. I think one area of, of interest for me, and given what's been discussed so far, what is sort of subscribers really highlight as the main challenges when they're looking at cyber risk quantification? I don't know, Catherine, can you sort of give us a, a view on that? It probably ties into some of the things that you mentioned earlier. Yes, sure. Thanks, Steve. So there are three main challenges. Um, the first one sits with resourcing and generally skills within the organization, but also externally within the industry that are available to carry out cyber risk quantification. Um, The second key challenge is input data. So this is availability of input data and also the quality of input data that is available to be used with modeling techniques. And the last one is just investment. In order to do accurate cyber risk modeling or sophisticated cyber risk modeling, investment is required. And in order to get the investment, obviously budgets are required and teams need to to persuade senior management why this is so crucial, why, for example, factor-based models are so much superior to models that may already be available within the organization. So they are the three key constraints that organizations are working with. That's great. Thanks, Catherine. Did we get any sense from this study of how people were typically trying to overcome some of these constraints? Yes, we did. So um, in terms of the skills issue, most of the training that is taking place is actually on the job training. So that is a key focus for organizations, as well as the use of external courses. There are a lot of courses run by ISACA, for example, that are available that organizations are using. In terms of the input data constraints, that is really where the factor and exposure-based models come into play. I think the data is always going to be an issue, and the beauty of the factor exposure-based models is that they use very readily available data, such as headcount, for example, that kind of data that's always available within the organization and being tracked very carefully. They're nice objective data sets to be able to input. And then lastly, in terms of investment, I think a lot of organizations are at the stage where they're doing a real focus on proof of concept. So using less costly techniques initially to gain the buy-in from management. One of the key success factors that organizations told us was, was really important to them was better stakeholder understanding of cyber risk. So it just shows that it's very much in this phase of trying to make management understand how important this quantification is and what is needed in order to achieve it in the best possible way. I was just going to build on some of that. And it's something that particularly picked up on anecdotally in discussions with members and actually regulators over the the last month or two. And that is that there's beginning to be, I think, a little bit more of an acknowledgement on getting better at quantifying the more significant risks to the organisation of which cyber is, is one. So hopefully that industry trend will help people particularly overcome that investment business case piece. But I'm hearing in a number of organizations, people are 
reorientating the skills they have available for more general operational risk modeling and, and sort of setting them the specific task at looking at how they can enhance it, this, the, the modeling for, for particularly cyber risk. So I'm, we're hopefully sort of starting to get to the point where there's a sort of general industry change here, which I think will obviously help our, our stakeholders and our subscribers to sort of get that buy-in and to help us take the industry forward, which I think would be a good positive. Okay, so um, I think that's been a really useful run through of some of the key observations, both in terms of the the patterns that we're seeing in terms of approaches, as well as the challenges, etc. I guess one of the sort of million dollar questions is, what did we learn or did the work reveal anything about the future for, for cyber risk quantification? I think what was very clear from the, the study results is that there isn't currently any clear direction of travel or one best way to approach cyber risk quantification. It very much depends on the individual organization's objectives and needs, combined, obviously, as we've already said, with budget. So getting that investment to be able to take the level of maturity to the next stage is very much key. And also the skills, but the two go hand in hand. Because one of the other considerations, Steve, that came out was that there is an immediate focus on input data enhancement. So where that data is available, how are people actually looking to enhance that over the coming months and even years? And also how they use their scenarios to better enhance their scenarios to support cyber risk quantification. And ultimately, the longer term focus areas are looking at new technology and tools and possibly even the consideration of moving away from internally developed solutions to look at those externally developed solutions that we know are out there. But again, that comes back to investment and really the objectives of of why people are doing this in the first place. I think um, I'd just like to add a little bit about what we're now doing um, as RX to take this topic forward. As you know, everything we do is is driven by our members. So we did contact our members earlier this year, asking them if they would like to continue looking at cyber risk quantification into 2022. And there is definitely appetite to do so. So that will be part of our focus for the year, specifically looking at external methodologies that are available to support organizations in their cyber risk quantification journey. And also to look at scenarios, the development of scenarios and how they can be optimized to best leverage the benefits that quantification can provide. Great. Well, look, thank you to Catherine and to Melanie. I think that gives us a good helicopter tour through the work that we've undertaken on this topic. I think it's clear that this is the beginning of the work on this topic. As as Catherine rightly said, our subscribers want us to continue to support them on this journey. So that's obviously with the work we're doing to collect and share data, but also to, as Catherine pointed out, to help them talk through the external methodologies they might be using, um, the scenarios, etc. as well. And, and I can see this being a topic of conversation at both our regular working groups and our RX Cyber Forum this year as well. If you want more information on ORX Cyber or actually any wider operational risk resources, please, please do head to our website, www.orx.org, where there's lots of information that's publicly available or that has links where you can get in touch with us for more information. That's the end of part one of our podcast on cyber. I'm going to hand over now to our ORX News colleagues. Hello and welcome. My name is Lily Richardson. I'm the RX News Manager. 
In case you haven't heard of ORX News, we're a subscription service from ORX, which covers publicly reported operational risk loss events in the financial sector from across the globe. This month, we will take a brief look at the five largest losses of January 2022, reported in US dollars. We will then take a deep dive into the topic of deepfake technology, specifically deepfake voice cloning and the risk that this poses to financial institutions. I would now like to introduce Fern, the Orex News Assistant Manager for Editorial. Thank you, Lily. And for this month's podcast, I'm joined by Natasha, one of our foreign news researchers. Thank you for inviting me onto the ORX News podcast. So Fern, the top five largest operational risk losses we saw in January 2022. What's at number five? So the fifth largest loss was to Shawbrook, which expected to lose 46.9 million in outstanding loans following the collapse of Arena TV for allegedly operating a fraudulent accounting scheme worth approximately 320 million in outstanding loans. The fourth largest loss was to a decentralized finance market platform called Qubit Finance, which lost 80 million when a hacker exploited an old deposit function that had been left in Qubit's system after a new function had been added. The third largest loss was to Lucian Development's CEO, who was to pay 103 million in restitution to the US Department of Justice for operating a 115 million Ponzi scheme through the company. In second place, managers at Vinesha Konom Bank were charged with embezzling 130.8 million from the bank via a fraudulent business loan scheme. And the largest loss of January 2022 was to Navient, set to pay 1.85 billion over deceptive practices and for overcharging on student loans. Some pretty huge losses there to kick off 2022. Absolutely. So moving on from the top five, this month we are going to discuss deepfake technology. Deepfake technology is an artificial intelligence tool that uses a process called deep learning to create fake pieces of media, such as images and videos, which some of our community may have seen cited in the media. In a similar way, deepfake voice cloning technology uses machine learning and AI to analyze and merge voice samples to then generate fake audio content which imitates an original voice. There are many types of software, apps and web services with open source deepfake tech freely available. This technology was actually used as part of a fraudulent scam to convince a bank manager in the UAE to approve a $35 million transfer from a client account in January 2020. So on the 15th of January, the bank manager received a call which seemed to be from the director of a company that was one of his clients. The company director said that he needed the bank to authorize this transfer as part of an acquisition. The bank manager also received several emails relating to the phone call, including a letter of authorization, which seemed to be from the company director to the lawyer coordinating the acquisition. As the bank manager thought he recognized the director's voice, he didn't think anything was wrong. So he transferred $35 million via multiple transfers to several accounts in other countries. But all along, it had been a cyber criminal gang using a combination of deep fake voice cloning technology and forged emails and documents to scam the bank. 35 million. Wow, that's quite a scam. And it shows how dangerous deep fake voice cloning can be, particularly when used with other forms of cyber crime, such as phishing or forged emails. It's definitely a new cybersecurity threat 
especially as banks start using voice recognition for phone and online banking. Deepfake technology was actually identified as an advanced cybercrime within the emerging risk factor of AI technology, which was just one of the emerging risk factors identified by participants in the OR Horizon report that ORX published in 2021. But if cybercriminal technology is improving daily and new risks are constantly emerging, how do these new risks fit into the ORX News database? ORX News is constantly evolving to adapt to new risks so we can publish the most up-to-date and pertinent stories for our subscribers. ORX News has many resources available to subscribers. For example, in January 2022, we published an in-focus piece about how ORX News is responding to the increasing occurrence of cryptocurrency-related losses and how we are categorizing stories about decentralized finance and cryptocurrency. In 2021, we also published a deep dive on the ransomware attack against Colonial Pipeline, which is available to subscribers and to the public to download for free at orx.org. Thank you very much, Verna and Natasha. What an interesting and daunting topic. As deepfake voice cloning technology is quite a new and rare topic for Rx News and had not come up in many of Rx's communities, we would love to hear whether it is a threat our listeners have come across or are already managing. So please let us know. I hope you enjoyed listening to this month's podcast. If you would like to know more about the top five losses, then please visit the Rx website where you can find the top five for this month, as well as a range of operational risk reports and resources. You can also read the full digest for each of the stories discussed in this episode on the Rx website. Just search rx.org. Join us next time to hear the next month's top five losses. So I'd like to say thank you to Lily, Fern and Natasha for that really interesting and insightful overview that they've just given us there. As with ORX Cyber, there's information on ORX News on our website, ORX.org. Thank you very much to everybody for listening. I hope you found this useful and uh, look forward to speaking with you soon. Thank you.